I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13 and a few pages over Philippians chapter 2. We're delighted to have you in worship with us. I just I thank God for the spirit of worship and I thank God for his presence in this room. Amen. And those of you that are on live uh, Facebook, we welcome you to our service. Thank God for you. I want to tell you a story. It's a, it's a, a story of a picture, a picture story in the Bible. And I want you to listen with detail if you can because our world does not know this story. Not just this story, but our world does not understand our God. Our God is a marvelous God, ladies and gentlemen. He is beyond our comprehension, and if he, if he weren't, he would cease to be God. I thank the Lord for liberty and worship because you think this is something. Wait till we get to the kingdom in heaven, and ladies and gentlemen, we're going to cut loose and worship the Lord. Amen? And uh, it's our rehearsal time here to do so. I want to just take you to a place in John chapter 13, and we'll go over to Philippians 2 right after that. And I want to just I'm gonna set the story up so that we can get the concept of what's happening uh, in this particular portion of the Word of God. I want it to affect your life. Teenagers, I want you to hear the story because I want you to know the background and I want you to understand that our God loves us. On April the 6th, 30 A.D., at 8 p.m. in the evening, April 6, 30 A.D., 8 p.m. Jesus had only 19 hours to live. He was having his last supper with his 12 closest disciples. For three years, Jesus had poured his life into these men. For three years, he had taught them and taught them and taught them, and yet they still had little understanding. Young people understand this, that the ra rational mind of human beings cannot comprehend the spirit unless they're twice born. That's the reason our world is so blinded today. They cannot see outside of their own human ability. And here in this time, even now in the shadow of the cross, these, these disciples were arguing Something that happens every day in our nation, in this world, every day, they were arguing about who was going to have the greatest power. Who was going to be in position? Who was it was going to get the most attention? Like children over a toy, you can see them verbally tugging. I'll be the best. I'll be the leader. I'll be in charge. I'll be in the most important seat. And that bickering among the chosen 12 disciples must have broken the heart of Christ like cutting it with a sword. Within 24 hours, Jesus' earthly body will be lying in a tomb. Yet here these disciples are arguing position. We see it every day in politics. We see it every day in power struggles. Human beings arguing for position. You would think that we're going to live here forever and that our position now and what we are or we are not as we perceive it is the most important thing in the world. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This life is swiftly passing. It is not eternal. Somehow... They had to get, Jesus had to get their attention. He had poured three years in them. He had quickly, he must quickly teach them, if he can, an unforgettable lesson about eternity. Eternity past, 
eternity present, eternity future. The roads that led through Judah were dirty, sometimes muddy, dusty. Travelers, all of them, eventually had very dirty feet. Sandals would crack eventually with grime from that soil. John, in his gospel, gave eyewitness to the next few moments about Christ and his disciples. John 13, if you want to turn with me, John 13, verse 5. Excuse me, I'm at the wrong one. After that, he poured water into a basin. I'm sorry, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. You have to understand he left the Lord and going, returning. Rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. I'd like for you to go to verse 12, and let's read there. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, I want you to understand, he's not just talking about what had just physically happened. He is talking about what had already happened. He was getting them to look from the natural also to the supernatural. He said, do you know what I have done? to you. If we will, let's go over uh, into Philippians 2. These few moments with these disciples, Jesus gave a brilliant living parable for in those few moments, listen to me, he would do again what he had already done in eternity past and it would tie in with eternity in the future. Paul described it like this. Listen to how he instructs us. Philippians 2, if you will, at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. In being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point, even death, even the death of the cross. That is a picture, ladies and gentlemen, of something I want to talk to you about this morning. Our world is blinded by a blindness of the enemy that has plagued our planet. This is a message I think the nations of the world should hear. It is a message I think we should understand. I want to try to push back some of the darkness this morning, not only for the world at large, but hopefully in this room. I want to declare to you that you and I have a very loving, reaching God trying with everything within His power to woo us into a relationship with Him. And I didn't say to woo us into religion. I mean in relationship to the Lord. I want you to notice the simple things, but I want to draw the picture so that we can see it. The first thing Jesus did at this Last Supper, he got up from the table. Jesus is at the head table at this dinner, the Last Supper. He is the host of this meal. He is the Lord of this feast, if you will. But he had a task to complete that would require a temporary leave of absence from his place of exaltation. 
that little microscopic picture is a picture of what had already happened and what he had done years before. I want to share with you that Jesus did not see the light of day on planet earth in Bethlehem's manger. This Christ we serve had already and always existed in eternity past. Christ was with God before the beginning, even before the worlds were created. He has no beginning. He's always been. He's been in the past. He came to us in the present. As a matter of fact, the Scripture tells us that He was the one who made all things. John, in his Gospel, wrote in chapter 1, verse 13, By Him were all things created. Christ sat on the throne in the glory with God in the past. Eons before the advent of Bethlehem, the Christmas season that we're soon to, to celebrate. There in heaven He was exalted. He was the lifted up Son. He was enthroned. He was seated at the place of absolute authority. He sat at the head of eternity's table, if you will. But He got up from that throne because there was a mission for Him on planet Earth. I came here this morning to tell you, young people, mom and dad, grandparents, the world, if you're listening, Jesus, God, loves you supreme over anything else in all creation. You are the very apple of His eye. And He loves you. He loves you even if we're unlovely. He loves us regardless of our situation. He cares about you so much, He voluntarily removed Himself from heaven's exalted position to come to your rescue. I'm going to ask you someone. I'm going to ask every one of you. You, sir, ma'am, young people. Can you think of any earthly ruler any monarch, any president, any prime minister, any governor, any person of any kind of power at all who would leave his or her position of prominence because of your call or your need or your distress. I'm here to tell you this morning, that's exactly what Jesus did for you. Can you say amen? Jesus got up from the table. It was a picture of the fact that He got up from the throne to come reaching. I want to talk about our God reaching for us. He got up from the table. The second thing He did was this. He laid aside His garments. The robe that distinguished His position was placed aside. John told us all about it. He said Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. Again, the picture at the Last Supper, a picture of His coming to earth. He laid aside His garments. He laid aside His garments. That is so important because in that day, what you wore signified your rank or who you were and what your position was in life. And here He not only got up from the place of authority, but He got up and He took, laid aside the garment that said, I am Deity. I am the ruler. Thirdly, notice quickly, he took a towel and he put it around his waist. We read it. The towel, or that apron, if you will, was the apparel of servants. Jesus became a servant. What is the picture here? What's the picture in the kingdom? Here it is. He who was righteous. 
became sin for us so that we who were sinners can become righteous. He who was rich became poor for we might be poor that we might be rich. He who ruled heaven came to earth so we who live on earth can exchange earth for heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus made an eternal difference for every one of us. It's so important that we understand. We can't comprehend these kind of things. Jesus not only came to us and laid aside His glory. He not only came to us and laid aside that garment. He did it so that He could touch sin-sick humanity. At this supper, they did not sit in chairs as they normally did. They reclined on lounges, on their, usually on their left side. So here they are around this table... And John is there. He is at the uh, right hand of God. All he had to do of Christ was to do, to see him and speak to Jesus was to glance over his left shoulder. Watch this. Seventy years after this supper, John was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. This same man who had known him as a disciple and known him as Savior, 70 years later, after he was gone, Jesus suddenly appeared to now an old prophet, John, on this Isle of Patmos. But not in appearance. He did not appear as he was that night at the Last Supper. John said this when he saw him. He said he was wrapped clothed in glory, shining as the sun. John said, he was so powerful in my vision with his hoary white head and his eyes of fire and with his vesture dipped in blood and a robe of righteousness and fine burnished feet like as a fire. He said, when he appeared to me, I literally fell at his feet as a dead man. What is, what is going on here, Pastor? Had Jesus come to earth in his divine form, at what we know as Christmas, there could have been no intimacy between God and humanity. For he was so exalted. He was the eternal God. But he came in the, in the clothing of servants so that he could identify with every one of us. For almost 34 years, Jesus laid aside that garment of splendor to reach toward the fallen human being. I want you to hear me. You will never experience anything in life that God cannot identify with. Everything about life, he who created it, identifies with it. He laid aside that garment. Then he put on that, that robe, that towel. He became like us, ladies and gentlemen, that we might become like him. Can you comprehend earth's potentates? Laying off the presidential garb and laying off all the headdresses and all that. Putting an apron on them in order to serve you or to serve me. Can I tell you this? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. Can you say thank the Lord? That's exactly what he did for us. The fourth thing is this. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet. In just a few hours, this same Christ will not only have poured out that water, he will pour out his blood. He will pour out his blood for the washing away of human sin. This water that at the Last Supper would remove the dust from men's feet. 
And that's a temporary thing. But his blood that flows a few hours later from his veins will remove the most heinous sin from the souls of human beings forever. If you want to know why we say Christ is the only way, there's no other way. It's scriptural. There's no other name given in heaven and earth whereby men can be saved, save the name of Jesus Christ. But it's not just God being a narrow-minded person, not just God being that. Let me just tell you, Christ is the only one with the credentials, ladies and gentlemen, that can purchase our salvation. He's the only one that sacrificed for us. He's the only one that served us. He's the only one that reached out in love for us. He's the only one who paid the price for salvation. The flow of blood would begin with the beating, horrible beating in Pilate's hall. It would increase, broaden when the thorns ripped his brow. It would broaden even beyond that when they would take five nails and drive it into his hands and his feet. And then three o'clock that evening, the next afternoon, the Roman spear would pierce through his ribs and into his heart. And there with would gush forth water and blood from Emmanuel's veins. That crimson flow would wash away my sin. That crimson flow would cleanse my wicked heart. And I'm here to announce to you this morning, God is reaching for you with a love that cannot be equal. God is reaching for this world with a love that cannot be equal. God is reaching for you, some of you who may feel like your sin is too great. He's reaching for you if you feel like your opportunity is gone. The fountain flows to you today. And I will tell you this, even on November 11, 2018, that fountain can make you clean and make you whole. He was showing this great picture. Yes, physically. But I want us to go to the atmosphere of that room a minute. Can you imagine this Christ they have followed? They've watched him speak to the winds and the waves, and they obey him. They've watched him put his fingers on blinded eyes, and immediately they became whole. They've watched this Son of God himself walk up to a beggar who could not walk at the, at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. The thought was that when the angels would come and trouble that water every year, that if you were the first one in the waters, whatever your illness, you'd be made whole. For 38 years, a crippled beggar laid by that pool. And when Christ came, he talked to that beggar and he said, what is it? And he said, I have no man that cares enough about me to, when the waters are troubled to put me in the pool. I want to tell you something. It was this Son of God who said, take up your bed and walk. Get up on your feet. From that moment, he was made whole. These disciples walked in that kind of an atmosphere with our Christ. A man came to him with a withered hand and he Jesus said, may it be whole. And the scripture says he stretched it forth and it was as good as the other. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, we better believe in something that's far more powerful than us. Because no matter what, we've been here, yeah, we've been here several centuries, humanity, and yes, we've come a long way, but I want to tell you something. We're still a sinful society that do not have the answers. 
This world is reeling and rocking, and humanity doesn't have the answer. I will tell you this, and I'm getting totally off my notes. I believe the man of sin that will eventually be known as the Antichrist is in the offing today. I think our world is a set stage coming. I look. I think something's going to happen. Something has to pop. Something has to give. And I think we'll welcome the Antichrist in not a too long a future. Well, Pastor, what makes you say that I could take you through Scripture on and on and on? I just want to tell you that that atmosphere with these disciples was an awesome time. Can you imagine? This is God's Son, the Messiah, put on robes of a slave and came and washed my dirty feet. I'm going to tell you something. God reaches for fallen humanity at His greatest expense. Christians don't ever get so accustomed to it that we get used to it and we take it for granted. I want to tell you this. It costs God nothing. I love this. It costs God nothing to stand in nothing and to speak in nothing and everything it is cost him only his voice. But when it came time for God to cleanse my soul and yours, it cost him the life of his only begotten son. Salvation may be free to us, but it's not cheap. It cost to spare us from eternity. And God has been reaching for humanity since that day. The last thing he did was this. He sat down again at his place of authority. Not many days following the resurrection, the scriptures tells us that Jesus ascended into heaven, rising once again to a place of authority that he had left before. Hebrews says it like this, chapter 1, verse 3. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He who left his lofty position some 34 years earlier returned to that position in pomp and splendor, and the scripture says he was attended by angels. The psalmist saw it prophetically many centuries before and they begin to sing the song as the, as the son of God would return to his father and it was a song the psalmist knew out of prophetic vision and he said lift up your head all your gates lift up your head you everlasting doors for the king shall come in ladies and gentlemen God has been reaching for us all of our lives he returned, and in a moment, it was a moment at the right hand of God. At this moment, at the right hand of God, he is highly exalted forever. And ladies and gentlemen, it is God. It is this son who has the last and final say. He has, at that position, let me be personal in a minute, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father now, and he has me in mind. Pastor, what are you talking about? The scripture says that he makes intercession for me. When the enemy attacks my mind, when the enemy comes into my life like a flood, when he tells me the sermon was rotten, 
<laughs> when he tells me everybody got aggravated at me, when he tells me, what are people going to think? Why don't you just leave them alone? Why don't you just can't be peaceful about everything? And when I feel like I've even disappointed God, when everything that comes against me is a barrage in my mind and Satan's attacking me, which will always be our very worst war. It's the war for the control of our mind. When he comes in like that, here's something I've learned. All I have to remember is that authority in the highest court of the universe speaks on my behalf. Let's go back to a day before this when Jesus talked to Simon Peter and he said, he said, Simon, Jesus looked into the spirit world where Satan had approached, and he said, Simon, Satan, Satan has come to tempt you. He's going to attack you. But he noticed this. He wants to sift you, the word, the King James Version says. And he said, can you imagine the Christ sitting and said, Satan's going to come and sift you. I could go so many places here, but I just want to say, I want to be a threat to the enemy, don't you? I want the enemy to know which side I'm on. I want to get up every morning out of bed, and I want, the, I want Satan to say, get up, guys. He's back on his feet again. Let's do... I, I want, I, I've not been taught to be fearful. I've been taught to do something for the Lord. And here Peter was, and he said, Satan's going to sift you. Well, watch these words. Can you imagine? He said, this is God's son. He said, but I have prayed for you. And notice the very next line, it says, and when you have overcome, feed my sheep. I just want to speak to you today, if you're here, and Satan is sifting you, or Satan has everything he possibly can stacked against you, can I just say, through prophetic words this morning, God, the Father, is on the throne, and the Son is at his right hand, and he has all authority, and he's praying for you. And I can't think of anybody better praying for me than the crucified, resurrected Son of God. The very fact that he prays for me is almost mind-boggling. I want you to hear this truth. Young people hear me. Mom and Dad hear me. The difference in Christianity and other religions is this. Religions teach Man's desperate search for God. But Christianity is the story of God's fervent search for humanity. The Creator reaching. The Creator reaching. The Creator longing to be with His creature. God's not a tyrant God sitting up somewhere saying, Oh, I got you. You told another story or you made another mistake or you blew it again and now I'm going to get you. That's not the right picture of God. God's been reaching for humans all these centuries. The issue is Satan makes some reject Jesus knew, he said, he came to his own and his own received him not. I'm sort of glad that he also came for the Gentile. How about you? Out of the commonwealth of Israel. But would you notice this? The reaching of our Christ for your soul and mine, it took him, it took him from the throne to a lowly manger. It took him to Calvary on a cruel cross where he died. This reaching of, for my soul and yours took him to a borrowed tomb 
It took him to a powerful, however, resurrection. And it took him to a hill of ascension. And I'm here to tell you, the Son of God is reaching for the nations of the world today. And he's reaching for you and me today. I'm glad I let him own me. How about you? Let no one tell you God doesn't love humanity. Let no one paint some kind of concept of God who murders and vials and does all this evil. I will tell you this, God is a God of mercy and love. But to be balanced, he's also a God of justice. So I'm going to say something that might strike our society a little strong. I'm rather glad to know that eventually, someday, God's going to be in rulership and nobody can take somebody else's life. I'm looking forward to a day when no more children will be abused. I'm looking forward to a day when no more wives will be abused. I'm looking forward to, to a day where evil will absolutely be punished until it will not exist. I'm looking forward to a God who's a God of justice. But I want to tell you something. If I got what I deserve truly, you see me in a suit this morning and you see me all paint and powdered and prettied up here, <laughs> let me tell you, I appreciate that. <laughs> there was nothing pretty about me. There was nothing lovely about me when the Lord took me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from those waters, he loved me. And I read it years later in Revelation where it says, he loved us, and then he washed us, and then he made us. And I'm so glad it was in that order. How many of you are glad you're loved of God? Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest privilege you'll ever have in this world is to say yes to the Lord. To say yes to the Lord. To say yes to our reaching God. I want to say this. He's been reaching for centuries. What a time. What a cost. What a sacrifice. Here's the point that I want to make with us today. All, now it's our time to decide what are we going to do with our reaching God. And I want to say, America, what are you going to do? with our reaching God. I want to say to the nations of the world, what are you going to do with our reaching God? Because, ladies and gentlemen, He's the only way. I declare it. I believe it. Because I know it's true. What are you going to do with a reaching God?